we read from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified according, or concerning Him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who has come after me has surpassed me because He was before me. Out of His fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. Let's pray together. Father God, thank You. Thank You for the opportunity we have to worship You. Thank You for Your Word and thank You for Your presence. Thank You for being who You are. Father, may our time here together, may it be honoring of You. May You receive all the glory and the honor and the praise that is due Your name. We love You, Father, and we thank You. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Welcome to PCC this morning. Uh, Thank you for investing part of your weekend here with us. If uh, you are a fifth grade or under student and uh, would like to head to the back of the auditorium, your teachers will be back there to receive you. And uh, parents, as you uh, let your kids go, if you want to go with them so you know where they are, that's uh, great. And that way you know what they're doing and and where they are and where to go pick them up later. Um, These will become self-evident later, all right? So just bear with me. Okay? All good? All right. Um, if you have your Bible, I do encourage you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 1. We're going to be referring back to that. It'll be, be good to have that there. Uh, today, as we seek to discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ, and, and we're looking at what it means for us uh, to worship the Lord and to become more like Him. Today, uh, we continue in our series, Jesus Is, a series where we are looking at not only who Jesus is, but taking His pattern as the life in which we are to emulate, how we can become more like Him in our life. Uh, and I don't know about you, but it's been a huge encouragement for me uh, over the past several weeks to hear from Ryan and Matt and Ian and Daniel as, as they've shared uh, their thoughts and, and what the, the various characteristics of Jesus and who he is and how we can become more like him. Uh, it's, it's really good. Today, uh, we get to focus on the, the topic of Jesus is grace. And Jesus' grace is something that there is so much that we could talk about when it comes to this topic. And so that's where we're going to try something maybe a, a little different that will hopefully make sense. Uh, it's one of those things where if it goes well, mm, if it goes bad, then we won't do it again, okay? Is that fair enough as, as we kind of walk through this together this morning? Um, if you think about where we've been uh, in our series over the last few weeks, we've looked at Jesus is healer, Jesus is love, Jesus is more, and now Jesus is grace. And that's fun, right? I mean, you think of all those things. Those are things that we want Jesus to be, right? And, and we want to have those things in our life as well. It's encouraging, uh, at least it is for me. Jesus is grace. Our friends over at uh, Merriam-Webster define grace as unmerited divine assistance given humans for the regeneration or sanctification. And, and it's really a, a helpful definition because it tells us some key things about what grace truly is. It's unmerited, right? And what does that mean? 
It's a gift. It's free, right? You can't earn it. You can't do anything to deserve it. And because it's a gift, it's given to us out of love it, with a, without any expectation of receiving anything in return. I heard grace described as a, as a free expression of the loving kindness of God based on who Jesus is. The loving kindness of God based on who Jesus is. And I like that. Jesus is grace. Grace flows from his character, uh, not because we deserve it, or or not because of of who you are or what you have done, but because of who Jesus is. Grace is a result of the amazing love and kindness and compassion of God. And even with that being true, it's interesting to me how we don't often view Jesus, or maybe more accurately, we don't often view God as really being very gracious. I touched on this a couple of weeks ago. And it was a, it really interesting to me the number of people that reinforced that idea that, that we really don't see God as being very gracious. Instead, the way we often see God is God up in heaven looking down upon us, looking at what we do, and uh, immediately judging our good and our bad. And based on our good and bad, he's determining whether or not he will love us or be gracious to us. It's kind of like the, uh, the TV show, The Good Place. Anybody seen this show? Two, three. Okay, so three of you will understand what I'm talking about. The rest of you just follow along, all right? So in this show, uh, I binge watched it on Netflix, Confession. Okay, that's what I did the first season. Um, in, in one of, so Eleanor, the, the lady there, she is in heaven by mistake. That's the premise, all right? She's in the good place by mistake. And she finds out that she really hasn't done enough good deeds to be there. And then they find out she hasn't done a good, enough good deeds to be there. So she goes on this day where she's trying to do enough good deeds so they will let her stay in heaven. Right? And while it was funny, it really isn't a very good picture of grace. Right? Because that's not what grace is. And yet in our life, often we end up being like Eleanor and we try to earn our, our way. We try to earn God's favor. And, and in doing so, what are we trying to do? We're trying to change ourselves. We're trying to take control ourselves, which leads to another aspect of this definition of grace, the idea of regeneration. This is the idea that the relationship between the two parties, between us and God, that it has been restored. Because of sin, we need grace, and grace restores that relationship that we have with God through Christ that we desperately need. Now, if you grew up in a faith tradition like I did, where on one hand was, you know, grace of God was talked about, right? How God loves you and God, God wants a relationship with you and he's, you know, loving and all those things. And on the other hand, and kind of in the same breath, it was, but you better really never do anything to really need his grace, right? Anybody else relate to that? Yeah, it was, yeah, it's there, but you better be good enough not to need it. Right? And you kind of live in that tension. And those things are oftentimes hard and difficult to reconcile and hard to accept. And yet, as we live in that restored relationship, we're reminded that there is nothing we could do to make God love us more. Right? You know, hopefully you know that. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. God already loves you with an, an absolute, total, all-encompassing love. That's his love for you. And on the other side of that coin, there's nothing you can do to make God love you less either. His love is for you no matter what. His grace, his unmerited divine assistance given to you for your regeneration and sanctification. So we can have a restored relationship with God. As Romans 8 says, nothing can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
God loves us because of grace. Grace says that punishment is not attached. Now, now, here's where you know, I feel like maybe uh, we have to clarify a little bit. It doesn't mean that if you do something and it's, and it's wrong and you ask for forgiveness, that everything in your life is going to be just fine. Your relationship with God is restored, right? It's not a salvation issue, but there are often consequences for our actions. Like Matt said a few weeks ago, there can be both forgiveness and justice. Those are not mutually exclusive of each other. And, and while God's grace removes punishment from us, there are often still consequences. It has often been said that the scandal of grace is that you don't receive what you deserve, while at the same time you receive what you don't deserve. And it's really quite beautiful the way grace works. Grace includes mercy and love and forgiveness and pardon. The psalmist in Psalm 103, verse eight, verses 8 through 10, uh, speak to this understanding of what grace is when it says these words, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our inequities. Did you catch that? Paul said it this way in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We deserve death, but we receive life. We do not receive what we deserve. Instead, we receive what we do not deserve. We receive this unmerited favor. We receive a restored relationship with God because Jesus is grace. Uh, Pastor Ralph Davidson refers to God's grace as an outrageous, illogical, irrational blessing and love given to us, and we don't deserve it. You got that? We all tracking that direction? Grace is amazing. It's something we all need. It's something we all want. And yet, out of his love for us, we receive that. Again, not based on what we do, but based on who he is. Our text from today, uh, John chapter 1, in verse 14, I want to read it again. It says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John tells us that Jesus, the Word, became flesh, and we have seen His glory. And this has the potential to be very impactful in our lives. When we see Jesus, we see the glory of God. We see God the Father. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus is a picture of God. And so when we look at Jesus, John says, we see that He is full of grace. But that's not the end of that, right? He says he is full of grace and full of truth. And this is where the the conversation starts to get kind of interesting sometimes. Jesus is grace. That's something I've yet to talk to anyone, and they're like, no, 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 no. No, I don't really want grace, right? I I, I don't need grace. I'm going to reject grace. I'm going to reject that unmerited favor uh, from God or, you know, if they don't believe in God, just unmerited favor in general. I've yet to meet anybody who's like, no, I don't want any of that. And why is that? Because grace is good, right? The statement is greed is good. No, grace is good. We all need grace. We all want grace. And and while Jesus is truth, when we start talking about that, that causes a little more angst in the conversation. And yet when we really stop and, and consider it, Jesus was not at all in conflict within himself. Grace and truth are not in conflict with each other. They coexist. And we see this in the person of Jesus Christ. While Jesus is truth, he is also grace. Jesus is grace and truth. 
And one of the aspects of this that is, that is fascinating to kind of consider is not that Jesus was 50% grace and 50% truth. No, Jesus was 100% grace and 100% truth. He is grace and truth completely, all in one, all the time. And as much as we need grace in our life, we also need truth. Now, hopefully, in what you know about God and, and what we've talked about here this morning, uh, you, you've understood or kind of have, have a grasp on how amazing grace can be in our lives, how I need it, how you need it, how, how we simply receive it from God through Christ, and it gives us that restored, renewed, transformed relationship with God because grace is good. But, but I would suggest that grace, if left by itself, and you put it kind of over in a vacuum, it can often be seen as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Uh, that's because uh, if, if we think about it that way, then we say, well, if I have grace, I can do whatever I want. That the sense I have grace, that there are no standards and there's no principles, as long as we're okay with it, as long as we kind of manage the earthly consequences, we'll just rely on grace, we'll do it, we'll ask for forgiveness later, and, and we can all be good. But, but I think it's important to remember what the text says, what Scripture says. Uh, Paul said it this way in Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Though we are those who have died to sin. How, how can we live in it any longer? You see, the point of that is grace needs truth. On the other side of that coin, right, we have grace left by itself as seen as that get-out-of-jail-free card. If you have truth by itself, it's oftentimes seen as just a bunch of rules, right? It's seen as being judgmental or bringing condemnation and punishment. It's often called legalism and fundamentalism. It's how people outside the church and even some people inside the church view the church as having all these rules and don't you dare have any fun or God's going to strike you down, right? But in the person and in the life of Jesus, what we see is that we need both grace and truth in our life. Not only does grace need truth, but truth needs grace. Randy Alcorn uh, wrote this great little book titled The Grace and Truth Paradox. Uh, In this short little book, he makes the case that grace without truth deceives people and ceases to be grace. And while at the same time, truth without grace crushes people and ceases to be truth. He he says it like this. Truth without grace breeds a self-righteous legalism that poisons the church and pushes the world from Christ Grace without truth breeds moral indifference and keeps people from seeing their need for Christ. It's not enough to offer grace or truth. We must offer both. And yet one of the struggles we have is trying to figure out how to, how to grab hold and really wrestle with grace and truth at the same time. And I want to illustrate that with these two beach balls. Now, I understand it's not summer, so we don't need beach balls, and these look like Easter eggs, but it's not Easter, right? So I got that, all right? So we're pointing out the obvious. But I want this one to represent grace, right? And this one to represent truth. Now, if you can tell the difference in them, good for you. Uh Uh-oh. Grace is on its way out, right? We'll get that back in just a second. So we've got grace and truth, and one of the struggles we have as we look at these two things is we know we need them both because they're in the person of Jesus, and yet to try to get a hold of them, and to hold on to them at the same time is not impossible, right? But it's sometimes difficult because once you, all right, there we go. Okay, so once you feel like you kind of get a grip on one of them, the other one slips away. Does that make sense? They're, they're hard. When we think about, uh, we've talked about grace, but when we think about truth, uh, we look at toward the Old Testament is kind of where we go first, right? And, and in the Old Testament, we find the Ten Commandments. 
uh, given through Moses. And then we have, uh, if you keep reading, you get to Leviticus and you read about all the ceremonial laws that, that point toward the law and all the things and all the truth that, that we have there. Uh, the law served its purpose by pointing out the truth, the truth that God's people are to be set apart, that, that they are to be different than the surrounding nations and, and the people. But here's the thing about law and about truth, that truth points out when you break the law, Right? That's what truth does. Truth says you broke the law or you didn't break the law. But one thing that truth does not do is it does not restore or reestablish the relationship with God. That takes grace. Okay? Truth, law, it does not bring freedom. It does not bring transformation. The law or truth by itself can really only modify your behavior. Okay? And here's the significant piece. Truth by itself does not really have power over sin. The law does not give you power over sin. Truth, again, just points out when you break the law, which is, which is why often we don't like to come face-to-face with truth because truth points out our deficiencies. Truth shows us where we are wrong. It's, it's, uh, it's uncomfortable, and it seems to be unloving. And while the law came through Moses... Through Christ, what we find is what we really need is a relationship with God. We need Jesus, and Jesus brings us grace. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way to truth and life, right? He brings the grace we need for a relationship with God and the truth of why we need that grace in the first place. Simply put, because of truth, we need grace, And because of grace, we can face the truth. And in the person of Jesus, we find 100% of both of those things. We find grace and we find truth because Jesus is 100% grace and 100% truth. Are Are we there? Right? But here's the thing. In my life, I find that I'm pretty good, depending on the situation, of being in one or the other, but it's hard to be in both. I find myself in situations where I just want to be gracious and loving and gentle and kind and not really ruffle feathers and just I want people to know that they are loved, right? And then there's other times when I'm like, really? Right? And you speak truth and and what happens, at least for me, is my tone isn't right and what I say does not come across as very loving. It's true, but it's just not very loving. It's not very gracious. And I hope you can relate to that. I hope I'm not the only one that struggles with that here. If I am, as I've told you guys before, I preach to me and invite you to listen. So there you go. It's just, this is for me. And, and here's what I would suggest we see happen often. If you look at various people, if you look at various organizations, if you look at various churches, um, what we see happen is that people tend to lean to one or the other. They go to grace, and uh, they like to play with grace and throw it around. You ready? Sal, you ready? It's coming right at you. Right? You know what to do with the beach ball when it gets thrown in the crowd, right? What do you do with the beach? You throw it around. Come on. Not to me. I've already had it, right? I'm starting to send it back to you. Here you go. All right. Sal doesn't understand the concept. You ready? Here we go. Here you go. And yeah, here we go. See? You You got grace and people over there playing with it, right? And then on the other side, you have truth that people like to play with, right? And they like to throw it around and... Okay? All right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, back over here. Right? 
Have you ever thrown a beach ball around in church before? That's the question. Right? Get some back there. And what we see happen, oh, come on, you guys. I expected more out of the youth. All right, here we go. Josh, you ready? Here, coming to you. There you go. Oh, it went right by you. And here's what happens. We have the different camps of people playing with the grace and the truth. But, okay, we have an injury report card that we can fill out. All right, all right, all right. Send it back up here. So here's what often happens. We have grace and we have truth floating around, right? They're doing their thing. And the people in the middle, what did you find yourself doing? Looking back and forth, trying to figure out which way it's going to come from, right? Trying to figure out which way to interact. Which side to kind of lean on, which side to look toward in order to know how to respond and how to react. The problem comes when, when we're trying to hold on to grace and truth. Yeah, whatever. All at the same time, right? It's difficult. It, it's hard to do. And yet, when we look at the person of Jesus, we find that he is 100% grace and 100% truth. Which is why when we come to issues like this and we try to figure out how to interact with people, we just have to look at Jesus. Because when we look at Jesus, we see how Jesus revealed the Father to us. And the way I dole out grace and truth is going to be insufficient. And the way you dole out grace and truth is going to be insufficient. And yet when we look at Jesus, we see what grace and truth look like. We see how Jesus interacted with people. Two, two illustrations to, to consider this morning. Think about the woman uh, that washed Jesus' feet. In, in Luke chapter 7, there's the story of, of the account of, of Jesus was invited to the house of a Pharisee uh, for dinner. And he goes to the, the dinner, and he, he's there. And while he's there, a woman comes in who is known in the town as a sinner. She's probably a prostitute, okay? And she comes in, and she places herself at the feet of Jesus, and she begins to wash his feet with her tears. And then she dries his feet with her hair. And then he pours perfume, or she pours perfume over his feet. And how did Jesus respond to her? Did he say, stop it? Your life choices have brought you to a very dangerous place in your life. You need to go go make sure that everything is right in your life, and then come, no. Jesus received her gift, received her worship. He welcomed her in. And he, he, in grace and in truth, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. He acknowledged the truth of her sin, and he offered her the grace of forgiveness. He was both grace and truth. Then there's the beautiful account in John chapter 8 of how Jesus interacted with the woman caught in adultery. Uh, if you remember the story, the, the religious leaders and others, they, they catch this woman in the act of adultery, and they drag her before Jesus, and, and they throw her down, and they say, hey, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone or to kill such women. Now, what do you say? And Jesus, in a way that only Jesus can do it, is kind of like, sure. If you don't have any sin in your life, you go for it. You, go right ahead. And the text tells us that one by one, they drop their stones and they leave. And Jesus looks up and he says, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, she said. And then Jesus demonstrates how he is 100% grace and 100% truth all at once when he said, then neither do I condemn you. Then neither do I condemn you. He gave her grace, right? 
That's what grace is. Had she done something wrong? Well, yes, that was obvious in the situation. Did she deserve the punishment through the law of Moses? Well, yes, that's what the law said. But because of grace, she received what she did not deserve, and she did not receive what she deserved. It was grace upon grace. And then at the same time, in the same breath, Jesus spoke truth to her when, she, when he said, now go and leave your life of sin. He didn't say that what she'd been doing was okay, that, that it was relative, it didn't really apply to her situation, that it was no big deal, that it was, it was something she could continue to go do, just don't get caught next time. No, he said, look, leave your life of sin. Leave the things that, that put a barrier between your relationship with God. Leave those things. And allow me to transform your life. I, I love you. I forgive you. Go and live your life. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and full of grace and truth. Jesus came to demonstrate to us, to show us that that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to, to only speak truth, right? But so that the world may be saved, that they may experience grace through him. And I would suggest that the way that we see this demonstrated the best or, or the most amazing way is when we look toward the cross. And, and this is where uh, I'm going to need a little help over here. When we take grace and we take truth and we put them on the cross, we see that there they're held together because of who Jesus is and because of what he's done. And I know that's a cheesy illustration, right? But I hope you get it. That in the cross of Jesus, we see grace and truth. We see that he willingly went to the cross to show us what grace and truth look like and that we need both of them and one of the ways we focus on that and we celebrate that is through communion in just a moment the the ushers are going to pass uh, trays one containing bread and the other containing juice the bread which represents jesus's body the juice which represents jesus's blood and in communion and in what jesus did for us we see clearly grace And we see the truth of why we need His grace in our life. We see love poured out for all people and the truth that we can accept it in our lives. This morning, we have the opportunity to participate in communion and to celebrate the truth and His grace. It's an opportunity for us to recognize that we need both grace and truth and we find both grace and truth in the person of Jesus Christ. That He is our hope and our salvation. And in doing so, we discover and we experience the, the, the way, the truth, and the life in Him to receive the grace upon grace that He so richly and freely offers to us. Let's pray together, and we'll prepare to participate in communion together. Father God, thank You. Thank You for Your love. Thank You for Your grace and Your truth that, that tells us not only our need for You, but how willing and able and loving you are toward us. Father, as we come to this time where we we focus in on on what you've done for us by demonstrating your grace and by showing us how we need you, would we remember your sacrifice, a sacrifice of love for us? 
Help us, Father, to, to rest in you and to know that you, you alone are worthy of all of our praise and our glory and our honor. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. As the ushers come forward and to bring the trays, we invite you to partake, to take of the bread, and when you're ready, to eat it, and then to take of the juice, and when you're ready, to drink it, to receive communion as we celebrate his grace and we celebrate his truth.